Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Leadership Conversations. Uh, this is a, an opportunity for me to speak to some incredible leaders from around the world in from all sorts of industries, but leaders who are very much at the top of their game, but leaders who also inspire me because they are leading in a very unique way. They understand the power of emotional intelligence. They understand the, the importance of human-centered leadership. Today's guest, uh, I have been trying to get onto this uh, this conversation for some while now and finally managed to get her here and she's not going anywhere else now. We've now got her imprisoned <laughs> for the next 30 minutes. Pips Bunce is a director at Credit Suisse and if that's not enough to impress you, she has worked in the IT industry for 25 years, working for some of the top companies in the world, Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, UBS, British Telecom and even the Bank of England. She's got an incredible profile within the LGBT community and in the area of diversity and inclusion. Uh, she has won some prestigious awards, including Financial Times and uh, Heroes Female Champions of Business, Financial Times Outstanding LGBT Executive Leader, and of course, the British LGBT Awards. I guess I haven't got all of them there, but it gives you a flavor of the person that I've got in front of me right now. Pips, welcome finally to the conversation. Thank you so much, Karen. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure to be here. And I thank you very much for your absolutely lovely uh, warm welcome. Honestly, I'm uh, looking forward to chatting to your good self. And uh, apologies for the delay. Oh, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. Well, listen, uh, uh, we have been looking forward to having this conversation for a while. I particularly uh, could not wait to get into some of the crooks of your beliefs and the things that you practice on a day to day basis. And you absolutely do. From everything that I've read about you, you walk your talk. And I, I love that with anybody. Uh, so I was really excited about having this conversation. Now, when it comes to emotional intelligence and with human-centered leadership, it really, for me, it's really about putting people at the heart of everything that you do. Not at the front, uh, front end of everything that we do, but at the heart of everything that we do as leaders. Uh, and you understand that. And for me, uh, your experience, your expertise, your passion or diversity and inclusion is is what resounds within me so strongly. So we were having a conversation before we went online, and uh, you know I have this belief around diversity that for so many years we have focused on this word diversity, and consequently we are still talking about it. For me, in the police service, some three or four decades later, we're still having the same kind of conversation. So for it almost makes me think maybe we're looking through the wrong end of the telescope. So I've had to adjust my thinking. And I think diversity for me is a byproduct of the culture that you create in the organization. So what we need to do is take that more courageous step, have 
difficult conversations and create a culture within the organization where people feel valued, where people feel appreciated, seen and heard. Uh, you have a slightly different take, but also a very similar take. So Pips, just tell me what's your understanding of diversity, inclusion, culture? That's a really good question. And I think that those things, like you say, are so differently intertwined. You know, for me, you absolutely need diversity, but you've also, prior to that, you've got to create that sense of inclusion. You know, diversity is about being invited to the party. Inclusion is about them being asked to dance. So, you know, you can't have one and then neglect the other. And I think you need both of those, the D and the I, before you can create that sense of equity and inclusion and sense of belonging, because that's the important part, right? People have got to feel, you know, accepted and understood and heard before they then feel like they're part of that team or that firm or that belief system. So I think, you know, DNI is all part of that, but you need to build that sense of belonging. That's the Nirvana, Nirvana that we want to get to at the end. And they're so, so important. I love the analogy that you've used there about, you know, inclusion is about being invited to dance. Uh, and it is a like, uh, you know, you invite so many people to the party, but if you're not encouraging them to be a part of the party, then that's not really inclusion, is it? And we see this happening in so many organizations where the focus of the organization is that I want X percent of my organization to be BAME and X percent to be from the LGBT community. I want to be too, truly representative of the community. But what sticks in my mind is, but if your culture isn't one where you are including these people in your decision-making process, if you don't have cognitive diversity within your organization, then actually you're not really making any moves forward to have creativity, innovation, uh, true representation in terms of service delivery for the communities or the clients that you might serve. That's sort of where you're getting, to, get, getting at, isn't it? I, I would say yes, definitely. And I think it's also about, you know, lived experience. It's about creating that safe space for people to feel that they can be their, their true authentic self. You know, I certainly know myself as a trans person, non-binary, gender fluid. It took me a long time before I felt that, you know, I was in a right safe space so that I could come out and be my authentic self. And it's really important to have that concept of allyship. And, you know, you cannot change the culture of a firm by writing a policy in black and white and expect the culture to change overnight. You know, it's about, you know, what do people live by? What do they talk about? How do they speak? Inclusive language. It's the way they work day in, day out. And it's the people. It's not a policy. So, you know, culture is a really complex thing. And there's a lot of things that you can do to drive that in the right direction. Um, but, you know, it's the ultimate thing to give people the ability to feel that they are in a safe space where they are heard, they are understood. Yes, they are represented. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's a complex one. It really is, isn't it? And you're so right about the culture. What sort of things have you seen, um, you know, being done by those organizations that really are passionate about changing culture to be much more inclusive? Uh, we both know, don't we, that some will just tick the boxes and write the policies and, 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 and they'll sort of be able to sleep at night saying, well, at least we've done that. But you and I both know that uh, to really drive culture, things need to be done. Uh, uncomfortable conversations need to be had, you know, uh, and that's when you build a foundation of trust. So what sort of things do you think or have you seen uh, being done to change cultures? You're right. You know, there are always those firms that are just pinkwashing or, for example, LGBT, they'll just do something during Pride and the rest of the year you'll hear nothing from them. You know, I think there's a stark contrast between firms that are really stepping up and driving that change. And again, it's the same for all dimensions of diversity. I think 
the things that the firms that really care about this and they're really standing behind it are cut across so many different aspects. You know, there's the community outreach, there's working with different charities, there's the internal culture of the firm, it's creating the safe space, it's having those courageous conversations, it's, you know, hosting events to give people lived experience insight into what it's like and the challenges faced for people from that community. You know, it's building that recruitment pipeline to ensure that you have a pipeline of diverse talent coming in. Um, you know, it's all of these different things, even down to the level of, you know, healthcare or policies or whatever. So it intersects every single different part of a firm or a franchise. And I think that's the big difference between firms that are doing it as a tick box versus the firms that truly stand behind this. And I think a big part of that needs to be the message from the top of the house. You know, it's no use wanting to do something as a firm and saying you stand by it, but the top of your house is not really standing and singing the same song. So the message from the top of the house to the outside world, to the social media, to publicity, comms, as well as to all of your staff, that also needs to resonate. We care about this. We want to make changes. This is the culture that we aspire to. We want to create and we, you know, we, we envisage a workplace and a culture where everyone is free to be themselves, free from prejudice and discrimination. Yeah, I mean, there are so many organizations that have these anti-discrimination policies and they would even say, look, we, 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 we work hard to stamp out discrimination and they probably do. But one of the things that, uh, that really struck me, and it's a phrase that I hadn't heard before, I'll be honest, uh, through the whole BLM process was when, when, when people were saying, well, it's all very well saying these things, but I want to see an anti-racist organization. I want to see you doing stuff that's anti-racist. And I didn't understand what that meant until I really thought long and hard about it. It's about going that one step further rather than just saying we support BLM or we support, uh, uh, you know, equality. It's about challenging racism or discrimination or homophobia, wherever it might be. It's about really stepping up and challenging that. And sometimes that can be a lonely place for an organization, couldn't it? Yes, it can be. And I think, yeah, you, you need to, you know, showing the external support and visibility and the things that you stand by and the policies you support, etc. That's an important thing. I think, you know, all big firms and corporations really do have a social responsibility to make sure that they are using their platform to affect social change, right? Because, you know, the difference and, diff you know, the changes that we can drive through large organizations is absolutely massive. So I would say, yes, there's definitely a not so much an obligation, but, you know, firms should be using their platform to drive and affect that social change. And again, across all different forms of diversity. And I think that's where intersectionality is so key. You know, there's so much good that we can do, but if we look at it all through an, an intersectionality lens, so it covers, you know, LGBT and ethnicity and BAME and gender and all of those things. I think the concept of allyship spans all of them. It's about standing up and standing with each of us across all of the different communities and from that sort of, you know, we can drive even more more change because we are so much stronger together. Yeah, absolutely. And now, Pips, you've been working uh, for 25 years in in some of the top organisations in the world. How much has changed for you uh, over the 25 years? I would say beyond recognition. You know, for me, I, I think the big big pinnacle thing for me was certainly coming out in the financial services, you know, because I'd always been out to my family and my friends as non-binary and gender fluid. And, you know, for me, that means I don't know how I'm going to express until I wake up on a given day. Sometimes it may be more masculine looking, other days more feminine. And I, I use those labels just to explain that because I'm also non-binary, so I don't buy into the male or female thing. I'm definitely not one of those. Um, I think the big change in the industry and across all sectors, to be honest, is the, 
the level of acceptance and the focus on diversity and inclusion and equity. You know, I wouldn't have dreamed of coming out in a professional environment 20, 25 years ago, because for me, you know, the concept of trans was not understood at all back then, let alone some of the more nuanced, even more prevalent, but the more nuanced identities within that gender fluid and non-binary. So for me, certainly over the last probably five, 10 years, there's been a real shift in, you know, trying to understand people's different identities and intersections and focusing on trying to create a culture where everyone can be their true authentic self. Because I think we all know, and this has been proven time and time again, firms that allow people to be their true authentic self, whether it's their culture, their heritage, their gender identity or whatever, those people far outperform in terms of as a company, as a firm, you know, everyone likes a firm with different perspectives and different forms of diversity. And you need to create an environment where people feel safe and able to be that true authentic self. So for me, I think that's the biggest change. It's fostering this inclusive environment where everyone can be their true authentic self. Yeah. And you know what, uh, when we talk about things like this, we very often box them into this thing called soft skills. But what you're talking about is the hardcore business case as to why this kind of cultural change is critical to the performance of an organization, an organization that has people within it that feel they want to be there, they feel included, they feel part of the very essence of that organization, will always work with blood, sweat and tears. Uh, because they go beyond the recompense that their monthly wage will give to them. They, they, they go beyond that and they work for something far greater. And I think to, so many organizations haven't understood this, but there, there, there must have been, for you, there must have been some sort of, I don't know, some, some, some point in time where you felt able to, to come out and you know express yourself in the true essence of who you are. What was that for you? Did you see some sort of a, a a change within the organization? Did you see a different kind of leadership coming through? What was it that, that where, where you thought, yes, I can do this now? I think for me that that big catalyst, that big changing point is really was the launch and the concept of allyship, yeah. you know, because I think there'd always been networks and enterprise resource groups, but it was really with the creation of, you know, allyship and allyship in the workplace and people standing with other people and understanding identities and challenges. That, I think, was the big push for me. I then felt that, well, actually, you know, I'm going to be supported. This is going to be an inclusive space. Yes, it's going to be scary coming out, but I know I've got people around me that are empathetic, compassionate, they show humility. Because to me, they are such important characteristics of proper, good, inclusive leadership, compassion, empathy, sincerity, humility. And allies, you know, exude all of those things. They are the people that are there to watch your back. If something is said that's not appropriate or whatever, you know, that they are watching out for you. And so for, for me, I think it really was the concept of creating an ally program where it was getting people to understand the difference that they can make by stepping up as an ally. And, you know, back then it was a smaller group. We've now got six, 7,000 active and engaged LGBT plus allies at CS. We, we, you know, we foster that concept of allyship across all different dimensions of diversity. And honestly, I think that's the biggest catalyst for a cultural transformation because it's inviting everyone into that conversation. It moves it away from just being this one group or this one demographic and it's their problem into everyone understanding and empathizing and helping drive that change. I mean, that's so beautiful to, to sort of try and get our heads around these critical points that allow organizations and individuals to grow and, and have the courage to 
to show up as their authentic self. Uh, so you've been a leader for a number of years now, and you are clearly very passionate about diversity and inclusion, uh, probably from the experiences that you have, as opposed uh, as you know, just like the experiences that I will have had in the past, uh, which drives our passion to bring about change. So, what do you think if you were to uh, describe that empathic leader, that that human centered leader? What are the key attributes? You know, let's assume that there's a young aspiring leader listen to this program right now what would be the key attributes that you would say that you really need to focus on to be that what i think is a leader of the future i think the future of leadership is all about being empathic and being human centered what are the key attributes as far as you are concerned certainly some of the bits that i touched on like you know really showing humility because that is so important you know no one wants to work for a firm or a group of leaders that are you know sterile and transactional and, and they're not human because and again part of that is also it's important you expose your vulnerabilities you know because again that's a really key part but i think the big thing is really demonstrating humility demonstrating compassion and empathy and all of those things that to me make the biggest difference between a manager and a leader you know people that have so much more respect for someone like that will want to follow will want to listen will want to sort of you know buy into those leaders and what they believe in so i think they're definitely an important thing um i think there's lots of different ways that you can then demonstrate those i guess those aspects or those dimensions but i mean definitely how you're working, who you're involving, making sure that everyone's got a seat at the table, making sure that everyone is, you know, it's listened to, because everyone comes differently, right? Not everyone's that very vocal, prominent person. Making sure that you take people's cultures and backgrounds and ways of working into account, because everyone, they might be at different levels, but that doesn't matter. It's it's about the difference that they can help and the sort of the voice that they absolutely deserve and need. So I think making sure that you are supporting and advocating and giving that same shared platform to everyone, but really focusing honestly on the humility aspect of, I think is the biggest, biggest key part. Yeah, I think you're so right. And you know, when, um, you know, we're going back to the point that uh, I made earlier on where so many organizations are saying, oh, we need X percentage of representation. We need to truly represent our communities. It's sort of taking that thinking to the next level and saying, okay, so if that is the case, if you truly do want to be representative of your communities, you need to look even further than just colour, sexual orientation, gender, etc. You need to look at how people actually think. People will come from social backgrounds, different social backgrounds. People will think in a wholly different way. You will have a, a mixture of introverts and extroverts. There's all sorts of complexities around human beings. And true representation is really about creating an organisation where all of these feel welcome. And all of these have a seat at the table, as you, as you mentioned. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, yeah, targets are great for one thing, but the, the, the key objective is they drive focus. They drive, yeah. you know, the objective is to get people thinking about this stuff. So whatever it takes to make your firm start thinking about this dimension or this dimension, that needs to happen. Because, you know, ultimately you want to get to a level where you've got different levels of representation. But, you know, inclusive leadership training is a really good example. It gets people to empathise what are these different lived experiences like? You know, what is actually is privilege? Because some people haven't even really begun to sort of comprehend and think about different forms of privilege and how it affects other people. So I think when you then start boiling in empathy and thinking about other people's challenges and journeys and situation and how can I make that better for other people? I think that's the really important 
powerful part. You talk so much sense, Pips. I, I knew there's a reason why I really needed to get you onto this <laughs> program and have this conversation. You see, EDI is is become one of the, it's become one of these really popularized titles now, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, all over LinkedIn, I'm seeing more EDI experts than I've ever seen in my life. In fact, actually, you know, being a, a strong proponent of emotional intelligence, I'm also beginning to see a lot of emotional intelligence experts suddenly popping up. And what worries me about uh, any of these is the depth of knowledge and understanding and passion of any one of these individuals. But really, inclusivity is understanding it at its deepest possible level. It goes beyond the protected characteristics that we very often talk about. I think uh, it's not a phrase that I particularly enjoy, protected characteristics. It's it's something that the government have pulled pulled together purely simply so that we can start understanding that diversity, I guess, is much more complex than we can ever we can ever uh, imagine it could be. But so many people take the protected characteristics literally, and they forget about the complexities of diversity in society. You know, uh, in its widest possible context. So. I mean, it's been really fascinating talking to you about diversity and inclusion. In your own experience, you must have come across some leaders that have made it really difficult for you because as much as we'd love for everyone to be enlightened, you we know that society is made up of human beings and as much as you will have the enlightened ones, you'll also have those that are ignorant and those who are bigoted or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you must have come across some really challenging times in your life as well. Would you care to share any one of those experiences or the types of experiences that you might have gone through? Thankfully, from you know, from a Credit Suisse perspective, I've, I've certainly not had any senior leaders, etc., that have been challenging from that perspective. But certainly outside, you know, in life and society, absolutely, you will always come across people that really challenge or really struggle to get their head around different forms of diversity or to get their head around people that might be different to them. So obviously they need a bit of help on the empathy side. Um, I don't know. I think it's very, one of the things I really focus on is trying to make sure that I don't take the odd bad situation or occasion I've had and disasterize and always expect the worst. Because I must admit, 99.99% of the time when I bump into people, whether they're on the street or the tube or train or whatever, you know, they're just curious. They just want to understand. They want to learn more. And, you know, they're, they're, nothing's coming from a place of bad intent whatsoever. So it's important not to always expect the worst. You know, I think a good example I give was I was waiting for a bus a bus stop to come into work. And, you know, there was someone, really big guy, look, looking quite sort of scary, traffic wards and over the road. And I saw him stop, stare and start walking over and I thought, oh goodness, here we go. We're going to have a, you know, an issue or a challenge or a fight or you know, a, a discussion. And it was easy to think the worst, yet he comes over the road and he says, sorry to bother you, I just wanted to say you look absolutely gorgeous. You know, really such a lovely person. I always use that as, ex as an example of it's important not to get, let those few bad occasions sort of, I guess, uh, sort of convolute or whatever the situations that you can have I, I love what you just said about you know not allowing these few occasions to i think the word you'd used was disasterize which i've never heard before but it's a brilliant word i'm going to use that a lot more now it's a good one and you know you I, you know i yes i have had bad situations i've yeah. used and you can have things thrown at you and, and you know sadly you will always get some people that are incredibly bigoted and i have an issue with anyone that's 
different color to them or different gender identity etc but thankfully that is few and far between and and it becomes increasingly fewer and far between so you know i, I i'm genuinely feeling that the world is becoming a nicer place to be uh, and hopefully if we just continue along this track and if we get the right kind of leaders whether they are in organizations in society in communities if we get the right kind of leadership this human centered leadership approach uh, and cultures begin to start shifting and start sh- shaping i uh, hopefully i i think that we'll morph into a much more accepting society much more embracing society going forward i mean i know far too many people from protected characteristics and in my case probably color and race um who have had uh, bad experiences i have had bad experiences in the past i remember the police service that i joined in the ni- early 1980s was completely different to the police service that exists now and there was some ignorance and you're right you have to separate ignorance from bigotry as well uh, some people were just plain ignorant and asking the questions others were bigoted but bigotry tends to come from a place of fear as far as i'm concerned and um i could quite easily be bitter and twisted now but the more bitter and twisted you become the less solution focused you become so consequently the problems remain so for me this is also a responsibility from those people from within those protected characteristics not to become embittered but also always to remain solution focused and that for me is also a really powerful leadership trait and it you clearly are of that ilk you are clearly a solution focused person who who wants to keep pushing the the agenda forward in a very positive kind of way so that we as a world can can morph into something a much better and let's let's be honest we need that in the world anyway thank you carl no absolutely <laughs> and we will get there i just take so much from seeing people progress and do better and you know i i've seen the shift from people being scared and not sure and not you know and then coming out and they're almost like different people you know they have they, they've on to a different level so i know the difference that it makes and i agree every interaction you have whether it's good or bad i see it as a good opportunity to hopefully help that person on their way to try and perhaps be a bit more understanding considerate empathetic who would have thought that we would have a society where you know you could i could speak to an openly trans person and have this incredible conversation and you do look beautiful by the way you know Thank the you. hairstyle i wish so do you, uh, i need i need some tips on the whole hairstyle thing <laughs> you know my hair gets to this long and that's too long for me i don't know how you cope with the hair i was trying to book myself into a hairdresser today to get it clipped short so if we can get to this level imagine where we could be in 5 years time maybe in 10 years time and that takes concerted effort to to get there we cannot become complacent we cannot take our eye off the ball and it's down to us leaders isn't it it's down to the leaders within the world to keep pushing that envelope uh, to encourage society to open up and to become much more aware and going back to an earlier point that you made these large organizations that we have in the world they absolutely do have a corporate social responsibility to influence change within society and i i've always sort of understood that you know the whole csr point of view but i've never really understood it in the context or recognize how important it is because they are some of the biggest employers in the world aren't they yes definitely and you know a big part of esg is that social side it's you know working with and working for those you know groups of social you know minority communities to make the world a much better place for them and you know whether that's 
working with the communities, the charities, the partnerships, whether it's making sure that you've got an inclusive workspace that is open and accepting to everyone. I think, you know, like you say, that all makes such a big difference. And that would definitely always be one of my points to my younger self. You know, I would say to anyone, never, ever hide your true light. You know, be proud of who you are. Be proud of mm. what you are. And make sure that you never sort of, you know, hide that away because it's so important to, to be your authentic self. And, you know, taking LGBTQI as an example, 20% of the students in most universities that we work with now identify as queer in the UK. 12% identify as gender non-conforming, so that's trans, non-binary or gender fluid. The younger generations are much more open and accepting to being that honest and authentic about themselves. So corporations have a responsibility to make sure that they're facilitating that pipeline. And yet for so many years, this was hidden. These statistics yes. were hidden uh, because, and I remember in the police service where you know, LGBT, if you even mentioned gay or queer, it was like, it was almost scary. And I know plenty of good friends of mine that hid their orientation for so many years. And eventually when they came out, they said it was like coming out of prison. Um, and I can't, even, I, can't, I can't even imagine what that must feel like. But I feel guilty that I might have been part of the society that created that, that culture where people felt that level of hidden. So I think we have an absolute responsibility as leaders and large organizations and community leaders to, to help people with this prison, break out of this prison. But I don't think there's, the prison is that strong or that big anymore. You know, uh, I think you know, the, the, the younger generation right now also, they have, you can have some incredible conversations with young people now. And they are so open, aren't they, in their thinking? Yes, yes. Thankfully so. <laughs> and that, you know, when it comes to diversity, again, Pips, you know, that is another thing, that diversity is not just about the protected characteristics, but it's also about understanding that different generations think in a wholly different way. Agreed, definitely, for sure. And then when you then start looking at the intersections between them, when you then start looking at, you know, LGBT versus intersectionality versus neurodiversity, and then you've suddenly got the, the glass ceiling or the double glass ceiling or the triple glass ceiling. You know, things get yeah, even yeah. more complex when intersectionality comes in. It's where human beings come in. Yes. We're, all, <laughs> We're complex creatures. <laughs> as Oscar Wilde says, be yourself as everyone else is taken. And, you know, and, and I always love the saying, you know, be the change you want to see. We as individuals and we as large organizations have the power to influence and make so much positive change. So, you know, let's use that opportunity. Let's use that privilege to help drive that. And so many organizations or industries right now, and police service being one of them, uh, has been in the news an awful lot around culture and, uh, you know, some challenges around culture. Some would say it's like turning an oil, and this is a phrase that I heard an awful lot of, it's like turning an oil tanker around. You're not going to do it overnight. But I'm thinking this must be like the biggest oil tanker in history because we're still struggling to turn it around. What do you think we're missing as a society? What do you think we're missing if it's taking so long for so many industries or organizations to turn that culture around? What is missing for you? That's a really tricky one. I think there's so many different intersections. Obviously, you've got the work and the corporations that are trying to do, but then you've got, I don't know, the challenges of social media, the challenges of certain parts of the press. You know, there's so many different competing groups that have very different agendas. You know, the agenda of everybody is not to make the world a better place for everybody. So it's, you know, you've constantly got different dimensions of that progress competing with each other. Uh, I think, you know, there's getting much more visibility now. There's much more focus on 
driving things in the right direction. But I think the challenge is it's very easy to take two steps forward, but then very easy to take one step back. You know, you look at LG, LGBT hate crime as an example in the UK, that's gone up massively over the past few years. You know, it's almost slipped back from a how safe do I feel perspective. You know, I certainly don't always feel safe everywhere and it's worse now than it was five years ago. Um, so it's very easy for good progress, hard fought progress to be sort of stripped away very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. Yeah, it takes years to build up and then exactly. uh, minutes to destroy. Exactly. Absolutely right. I, I think for just to your question, you know, focusing on getting everyone on board with that change right and sort of trying to head in the right direction and having these discussions that need to be had to help get people on board with what we're trying to change. Uh, and it all boils down to leaders having to really step up and understand that leadership is not just leading a department, leading your organisation. It's far deeper than that. It is... Uh, there's a phrase that I see every now and then, servant leadership. Leadership is about service. Leadership is about serving those people underneath you uh, or, or the colleagues that you work with, those that look up to you to to be led. But you get equal amount of leadership from them if you give some of your power to them. Uh, and, and that way you sort of flatten things out and regard everyone as a team. And in that team, you have this very complex environment with all the human complexities uh, and, uh, and needs of individuals. And uh, this conversation has really been about that cultural change, that change, that culture rather, uh, as you said, where people can feel seen and heard and valued and brought to the table. And uh, I think you said, and invited to dance at the party. That we like, Carl. No, definitely. Yeah, That's I a- love that <laughs> phrase. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep with that phrase. You know, diversity is about being invited to the party and inclus- inclusivity or inclusion is about being asked to dance at the party. The important thing is make sure you haven't got separate dance floors at that party. I mean, we've all got to be on the same dance floor as well. So very let's, true, let's keep very, our very focus true. on intersectionality. Love analogies, Pips. <laughs> love analogies. And that's one of my favorite now. I'm well, going to use that. <laughs> the other one you just touched on there as well. And another one I love on that is, you know, it, it's not always easy doing the right thing. And doing the right thing is not always easy. So as businesses, mm. as leaders, you know, it's not always the easiest thing to take these aspects into account, whether it's diversity or work we're doing, but it's the right thing. And I think it's it's always so worth doing the extra bit of investment to do the right thing and make things better as a result. And if you use that as a, as a guiding light for your leadership journey, I don't think you're going to be too far off the mark. Agreed. And it will require courage. Of course it will require courage. It will require hard work, but the rewards are so much more better for the work that you pour into it. Pips, I want to thank you so much. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. Uh, We could have carried on forever, I'm sure. Uh, But uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Carol. Pleasure has been all mine and I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.